0: Welcome to the Speak With People podcast. My name is Jason Rates. I'll be your host, and this podcast exists to help you improve your communication skills. Whether you communicate one-on-one, to a team, from a stage, or from behind a screen, we know that when we improve our communication skills as leaders, it exponentially changes everything. It improves our relationships, it improves our leadership skills, and it improves our business skills. So let's get ready to dive into this next episode. Well, do you really want to win in your workplace? Do you know uh, if you have a unique preferred listening style? Did you know that there were different preferred listening styles? More importantly, do you know that each of us has a specific way that we need people to listen? So today, I'm so excited because we're going to dive into how we can cultivate trust and action at work. And I'm I'm uh, very humbled and honored to have. Uh, our guests today that are going to help us navigate these interactions so we can become better listeners. We're going to learn how to break down some barriers that sometimes hinder collaboration and understanding. And so I'm just beyond excited to dive into this. I know this is going to be so much uh, help and practical insight for you as you are a leader working to improve your communication skills. Well, I am beyond excited to have uh, Nicole and Megan joining us from Duarte, and they are authors of the groundbreaking new book, Adaptive Listening, and so I just want to welcome you both on the Speak With People podcast today. Welcome. Thanks
1: Thank for having us. Thank you so much. We're excited to uh, speak with people like you today.
0: Hey, I love it. <laughs> I love it. You know what's fun is, out of all the guests we've had, that was the first time someone has, has made that, that. I love it. Gosh. That was fantastic.
1: promises paid off right here
0: (laughs) right from the get-go it's because we're both Detroiters so that that's exactly what it is (laughs) (laughs) oh I love it well hey before we hop into the conversation you know thought we just kind of hear more of your story let our listeners get to know you and so Megan let's start with you if you could just tell us more of your story who you are what you do where you're from all that kind of stuff
1: well, I'm a big, huge communication nerd. So I was a competitive public speaker in high school and mm. college, and I fell in love with communication. And I knew when I was 16, I want to help people be better communicators. Mm. And I set on that path in the academic route. I was a professor for a while. I got my PhD in communication, and then I didn't like how long it took to put practice into action in the academy. I needed things to move faster. And so I went and moved over to professional business corporate communication. And so now I work at Duarte, where I lead a team of strategists, writers, and speaker coaches. And when I am not helping leaders become better communicators, uh, you will find me cheering on my Detroit sports teams. That is how I spend most (laughs) of my free time, is watching sports.
0: All right, that's fantastic, awesome. Nicole?
2: I majored in communication as an undergrad and somehow found myself into sales Mm. and it was lucrative, but I kind of felt like I wanted to do something more. I didn't really love going to work every day. Wasn't super passionate about it. So I decided to go back to grad school and I am now a licensed and certified speech and language pathologist. So I worked with adults who had stroke and traumatic brain injury. Mm. I also mostly worked with kids with autism and speech impairments and things like that. And then I decided, well, I love kids, but I really don't like working with them. And sometimes I really don't like working with their parents. (laughs) So (laughs) I think I missed the corporate. And so I sort of found this lovely niche between the speech and language side of things and the corporate side of things. And that's how I became a speech and a speaker coach and met Megan at Duarte.
0: Wow, absolutely fantastic. W- one thing kind of jumps jumps right off the pages for me. We interview all different types of leaders and communicators. I would say most, and this is in no means am I, uh, you know, trying to say anything poorly. I love all of our guests, but it's really refreshing to have... C- people who love communication because I find most leaders are not ready to introduce themselves or share their story uh, they're just they're just not ready. Uh, I, I see that all the time at Chamber of Commerce meetings or you know different networking events when somebody says hey share your 30 second story and they they can't they say well um, I mean kind of boring I work for XYZ company I, uh, I, you know and so they don't have you know so w- what's fun for me is both of you, Obviously, you know how to tell a story. You were able to weave your stories into it and brought it alive. So that was really that was really fun and refreshing. I love that. Thank you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We've learned learned how to practice practice what we (laughs) preach. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I tell people if you're not excited to tell your own story, why in the world would anyone be excited to listen to it?
0: Right, right, right. We do a free training. You know how to how to tell your story in 30 seconds, and it's it's just still surprise. I'm like hey, this is a skill that you can use every single day in your leadership, in your professional career, because really, at the end of the day, you want to be remembered. So, you know, get right to it. <laughs> I love it. Well, hey, we'll we'll hop in to some of the questions, because I'd love to talk more about your book and your research and what you both have learned. But in your experience, what are some of the common challenges in workplace communication that really kind of you know, thrusted this on, uh, you know, for you guys to be able to dive into this topic and provide some of the the research and the information and solutions that you did.
2: Megan and I have made a living out of helping people with their expressive communication. (laughs) So Mm. presentations, keynotes, sales pitches, everyday, you know, comms, talking to the media, talking to boards, et cetera. And we realize, well, we, we call ourselves a communication company, and yet everybody is seeking us out for one side of the communication equation, expressive. But there's a whole other side to it. There's this mm. receptive side. And somehow nobody seems to work on it, right, either because they don't think it's a problem, similar to driving, right? No one really wants to admit they're a bad driver, (laughs) whether they know it or not. We have found very few people that have said, Oh, I'm a terrible listener, and I need to work on it. So there's either a lack of awareness, or they want to work on it. And there's just not a lot out there Mm. to help people work on listening. There are countless programs available for public speaking and expressive communication. I can't think of one person that I know who hasn't at least taken public speaking 101 in high school, college, grad school, whatever, or hasn't invested in a coach. There's just not a lot out there on listening. And that's why Mm. we wrote this book. And that's why we created a workshop because we thought, well, gosh, people need to work on communication in all facets and not just on the expressive side.
0: Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I I was looking at um, some research uh, recently for a company that I was actually getting ready to pitch a presentation to. And uh, a study by Heart Research found that 93% of employers consider communication skills more important than a graduate's major. But they also in the study recognize that it's not common practice to, to do anything to help their people improve. And it, it's just amazing. We spend all this time communicating. Some studies say up to two-thirds of our day we're communicating some way, but we don't, we don't really invest in it, uh, you know, much at all. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think more companies, more leaders don't take the time to invest in kind of all facets of their communication?
1: It seems easier than it is. If you are a typically hearing adult, you have been listening your whole life. Mm. So it seems really hard to allocate budget dollars to a thing we think everybody should already know how to do. Like no one's teaching mm. me how to chew my food better cuz I know how to chew my food. Very rarely right. do I get coaching on my walking. I know how to walk where I need to walk. Right. So I'm not going to invest in those things until someone says, "Megan, you know all your back problems are because you carry your weight weird when you walk." Well, someone's going to have to tell me that in order for me to want to make the investment. And so, we don't fault people for for thinking, "Oh, I don't think I need to work on that cuz I do it all of the time Mm. except it doesn't take a deep dive analysis to realize most of the problems in your organization are communication problems Mm. because either someone doesn't know how to clearly articulate the value and the actions that need to happen or someone doesn't know how to process remember and respond the right way it is the majority of the problem And sure, you might have leaders who have different skill sets at strategy and execution, but Nicole and I have combined 30 years of experience working with leaders in communication. Uh, It's almost always the communication problem. If it's not all of the problem, it's a major part of the problem that can be solved.
0: Wow. Wow. Absolutely. It's, we, uh, a little, a little phrase that we use and speak with people a lot is healthy communication is oxygen for your relationships and your leadership. So our phrase, speak with people, not at them you know we try to build this metaphor you know we want to breathe into people not suck the life out of them but it is like just what you said it's so fascinating when that one employee or that one coworker is a poor communicator the entire place feels it quickly because everybody gets tense every time they're around uh oh, it's it's so incredibly important what what did uh, what went into as you guys got ready for this book, uh, as you listened to different employees, especially when it comes to being a great listener, you know what? What were you hearing? What were the major themes that kind of came across that employees and workplaces? How could they improve? You know, further listening skills.
2: We did three years of research. We did mm. countless interviews, alphas, betas of our workshop, and. What we were really looking for is finding out okay when somebody listens to you and your goal is met how does that make you feel and Mm. what are those people doing that builds that trust a lot of times people say yeah i go to that colleague a lot and they can't really articulate why but a lot of times it's because they are a good listener and they listen Mm. in a way that helps you meet your goal so we just we asked so many questions about when someone listens to you and things happen what does that situation look like and then on the flip side when someone is not listening to you what does that look like Mm. and what we uncovered was one there is not one right way to listen in the workplace (laughs) a lot Mm. of people think folks are either listening or they're not they're either a good listener or a bad listener And through adaptive listening and all this research, we uncovered, well, no, there are actually four different ways that people need you to listen in the workplace. And we we call this the SED Listening Model. So with the SED Listening Model, it's an acronym that stands for Support, Advance, Immerse, and Discern. As listeners, we show up to the interaction with a said listening style. It's what we default to. So we are by nature either support, advance, immerse, or discern listeners. Mm. When we walk into an interaction, the person speaking needs us to listen in one of those ways. And the goal here is to uncover how do they need me to listen in this moment? And do I need to adapt from my style to meet those goals?
0: Wow. Wow. And so uh have you then uh, what what is one of the best ways then for employees to you know recognize or figure out their style?
1: Well, we made a style finder just for that very well, reason. Well, look at that. <laughs> look at that. So we've got hosted um on our website and there are links to it in our book. Uh a version it's a 10 question uh, style finder that you would take. I'll put you in some scenarios. You figure out what your preferences would be. And at the end, we tell you what your style is or if you have a combination of styles. Because becoming a better listener at work starts with knowing how do I listen today? Mm -hmm. And like Nicole said, most people don't think they're bad listeners. And we're even willing to say they're not. They're just not aligning the way they're used to listening with the goal that someone has. Because part of our research was asking people, hey, who are the good listeners in your organization? And they could always name them it's not that there was a lack of good listeners wow. it was us figuring out well what are the good listeners doing that makes them good how can we codify that and how can we then train other people into do the things the great people are already doing and so figuring out what your style is is the eye opener we have had leaders tell us this has changed my life I didn't realize I was approaching the world with a particular style. Yep. Uh, we've had individual contributors realize, oh my gosh, I now know my me and my manager don't get along. We're having a conflict of listening styles. That's why we're not on the Ooh. same page. Yeah. But it all starts with, how do I prefer to listen? There's nothing wrong with any of the four styles. In fact, we need all of those styles in yes. the workplace. And, and the real trick of adaptive listening is you have to be able to adapt to the other ones, even if it's not your preferred style.
0: Mm. And I bet that's so important now. I mean, 2024, we have four generations in the workplace and it's so fascinating when you think about Gen Z all the way up to the boomers, how important it is, you know, probably more important than ever to be able to learn this adaptive listening. Why? I I love that it's adaptive listening. Why is active listening not enough? You know, why adaptive listening?
2: we did a real deep dive into active listening when Mm. we created this because for decades it's been the gold standard for listening in the workplace but what's weird about it is a lot of people don't really know where it comes from and exactly what the principles are It's, Mm. it's a term that is thrown around so frequently if you do a google search on active listening you get literally millions of results and dozens of different definitions we uncovered that it was created by psychologists in the 1950s, specific for the therapeutic setting. Mm. Somehow it got translated into the work world because there was just nothing better, but it has certain principles like pay attention and adaptive listening says, well, duh, of course you should pay attention. That's the bare minimum in the workplace. We're adults. You need to turn off your notifications and pay attention. But it also says things like avoid judgment. Don't give advice. Summarize. Ask questions. Adaptive listening says, well, sometimes, but sometimes people need your judgment, for example. In fact, Mm. Megan and I have made a living out of judging other people as coaches. (laughs) People pay us a lot of money to say what's working and what's not with their communication. So of course, judgment is warranted. So we just decided, active listening works. Sometimes it doesn't work all the time. We absolutely need a better way to listen in the workplace. And again, it's not the same way every time. Sometimes people will need your judgment. Sometimes they'll need your advice. They always need you to pay attention. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it just, it was falling short for us.
0: Mm. Oh, I love that. Going back to the, the generation thought too. I, it's probably such a much different level I think through you know a boomer or you know me in the Gen X world, as I work with well and now in my company I work with and also parent because I have a 19 year old son who you know has been brought into the family business, but when you say pay attention, you know it's really fascinating I think as you think about the different generations of that pay attention. You know, for boomers, it's like, okay, everything is focused. Nothing else is happening. Gen Z, they might have seven things going on and they hear, you know, absolutely everything. So just, I think it's so terribly important, you know, to be able to learn those, you know, different listening styles and be able to do that, you know, with a team. Uh, I, I would, I would gather that if, if teams actually did this, the trust among themselves would just exponentially in, uh, you know, explode? What, What do you think holds back companies from investing more in this type of training and, you know, opportunity to build that kind of trust and move forward?
1: Like I mentioned before, I think there's a. It's hard for people to think this is a thing I need to work on. Mm. There is not a a lot of it out there, so there's a hurdle that Nicole and I have had to overcome of telling people there's a gap they didn't even know was a gap. You know when people at work aren't paying attention. Right. Like we said, that that's not what this is about. Pay attention, you're an adult. All right, I'm not having that conversation anymore. I'll put you on an improvement plan. Just be pay attention, Right, but getting to the nuance of doing it the right way at the right time for the right person, I think that that has just not entered the conversation mm. as something that needs to be developed. I just think it's a lack of awareness. I don't think it's a hesitancy to move forward with it. Mm. Um, you know, speak with people, value storytelling, you value connection, you value helping other people know how to communicate the right way expressively. It took a while to get corporations to agree that that mattered. That was right. a hard sell 20 years ago. It's not really a hard sell today. I don't got to sell anybody on right. the neuroscience of storytelling. It's out there. We agree on it. Whether I got the dollars to invest is a different story, but we're on the same page. Yeah. Well, now we got to tell people, uh you didn't know you were listening the wrong way. You didn't know your teams listened to each other differently. Yeah. And I think it's going to change minds, and I think it will be the next big area of development for people, we are lucky to work at a company where every single person has been trained in adaptive listening. Mm. So not only did we have to, you know, dog food it ourselves and ask for internal help, but our leadership team took hold. They've done it themselves at retreats. We've had working sessions. They all know their styles. They know each other's styles. Mm. They know who to go to where. And every time we have a company event, they incorporate a module on adaptive listening. So we have that toolkit as an organization and it absolutely changes the way that we interact with each other.
2: I'll add too, I think Megan alluded to this earlier, but a lot of times uh, people don't know they have a listening problem. So a lot of times when they come to us and they're trying to figure out what workshop would be best for for me and my team to take on communication, we never ever hear we need to work on listening. I mean, really, almost (laughs) never. What we do hear is we have misalignment, mistrust, Mm -hmm. missed deadlines and inefficiencies and then we say have you considered that this is actually a listening problem oh i mean a lot of people think it's it's their strategy it could be uh you know and and it's other factors but uh, man it's just they're missing the mark with where the actual problem lies
0: Mm. Mm. i think that's
2: why they don't invest in it
0: Right. Absolutely. So walk us through if you're, you know, say you're, uh, you know, a middle level manager or, you know, you, you work at a company and you would like to present this, you know, bring this kind of idea to your boss. What would be, what would be some steps, some insight, some help, you know, to help that person pitch it to their, their company? I'd
2: say start yeah, I with, think with yourself. Possible. Go ahead, Megan. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think what that's what I say. That style finder is key. I think saying I uncovered the way I typically listen and I've recognized that there are maybe three other listening styles and and goals that speakers have that I am not addressing. I'm working on this myself and I, I see the value in the rest of our team working on this. I, I think starting with yourself I, I think that's part of the beauty of adaptive listening is that even if the rest of your team hasn't caught on to this yet if you model this like most other skills people will start to to recognize that they might not know what you're doing and how different and, and why there's a difference in your communication but Trust will start to be built. And if you can model that and people recognize, ooh, that person's got something and it's working for them, they'll be really curious about it. But I think it starts with you.
0: Uh, so uh, as I was listening, I was thinking, <clears throat> you know, if, if I value this on my team, I'm putting these, you know, skills in the practice, is there something, are there questions that I, I need to add to my, my leadership toolbox that when I am listening to someone... These are questions that I can ask to help make sure, because I I love, I'm a dad of five kids and I, you know, I've had to learn all different types of listening, communicating to each one. But one of the things I'm terrible at is if they don't respond quickly enough, I will start to have the conversation with them that I wish that they would have. You know, I I, I play, but it's, it's horrible communication. I understand it's horrible because I'm answering all their questions the way I'd want to hear them. I make it into a joke. I hope I haven't, you know, hurt them far into the future. But, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, now I'm in the workplace and I'm listening to my coworker, I'm listening to my boss, and I need to get those clarifying questions to make sure I am hearing everything. I am, you know, getting anything. Are there any of those questions? Are there any of those nuances that will help, you know, increase any of those skills that I can put into place?
1: Yeah. So there's one you want to ask yourself internally before you walk into every interaction. And that is, what does the speaker need from me right now? Mm. It Mm. takes the focus off of you. It completely puts it on the other person communicating with you. And we have found that that small question, even if you don't learn everything in the book, changes the way you approach the interaction. Because most of us don't walk into other people and go, what does this person need from me right now? And all of a sudden I've turned my listening into a, Goal oriented activity, I have become a detective looking for clues that are going to help me know what this person might need from me right now. If there's someone I interact with often, I might know very quickly. Maybe we have one-on-ones, maybe they're my my favorite customer. I usually know what they need when they come to me. If it's a new person, I've got to watch for eye contact. I've got to listen for hesitancies in the voice. I've got to look for urgency and mannerisms. All of those would be a cue. Do I need to support, advance? Or discern. Mm. And that's the, the second part is putting it into the categories quickly, becoming very adept at going, what do they need? This one of the four. What do they need now? This one of the four. That's what's going to really set you up to show up the right way. I was coaching a CEO of a company and he's also a father. And we were working on his listening skills, and he brought up that he's a he's married to a woman and he is a father of three daughters. And he tells me a story of how his daughter comes home from college and explains to him uh, something she learned in college about science and the sea. And he's like, oh, did you know, did you know, did you know, did you know? And he said, she got deflated every Mm. time I added another tip. And I said, I want you to stop. Think about those four listening goals. What do you think she wanted from you? Mm. And he went, oh man, she just wanted to connect with me. She just wanted to be like, dad, Be proud of me, I'm learning a thing at school. And I said, that's all she wanted. She wasn't trying to teach you something. She didn't want you to go off and hunt for new biology in the sea. There was Mm. no action item for you here. She wanted a moment to connect with her dad about this cool thing she learned. And right then we got to use a a low stakes lifestyle moment to have him unlock something that he could bring into the workplace. Wow,
0: wow. I mean, it's just, Again, (laughs) we breathe all day long and we take it for granted until something is wrong with our lungs. It's the same thing with our communication. We communicate all day long and we take it for granted that we could be going all these years with with not really communicating very well. And if we just took a couple of these steps to learn some of these skills – I mean, just imagine what it would unlock in our personal relationships, our leadership, our work relationships. That's why I'm just blown away by the work you guys do. I, I love also being a communication coach because sometimes I feel like a life coach or a counselor because of those moments, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, we always. say it's part therapy. Yeah, it's absolutely part therapy.
0: Yes. Uh, I would love your opinion on this phrase and if this phrase is a uh, healthy or an unhealthy form of listening when, when someone communicates something to their team, or maybe it's, you know, across a, a to another team member, or it, it could be either way, you know, boss to employee or employee to employee. But if the communicator has to keep saying, does that make sense? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I, I'm just, I'm, I'm fast. <laughs> I think I already pick up on your answers from your expressions because I'm paying attention to your body language, but <laughs> would love your thoughts on that.
2: Number <laughs> number one. Th- th- this could be a combination of expressive and receptive communication problems okay. here. If if you are not clearly communicating and you have to ask that repeatedly, you're probably not delivering your message in a clear and concise mm. way. So that's that's one. Two, it comes across as quite condescending, right? Does that make sense? It's like. I don't know, that's something I might say to my four-year-old nephew. It's probably not something I'd say to adults in the workplace. A better way to say that is, what questions do you have? Hmm. Right? Assume that these people have questions, because I, I also don't like, do you have any questions? The answer is always nope. Depending on the situation, <laughs> nobody wants to admit when they have questions in certain situations. But that's a better way to, to engage with folks is to say what questions do you have rather than that made sense. If it didn't make sense, you'll know based on their questions. <laughs> so I say scratch that one from your vocabulary. It's not the best.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Perfect. That helped me a lot for,
2: uh, <laughs> for
0: something that I had suspected down deep, but uh, I love that. What about, uh, uh, forceful listening or, or forceful, you know, when someone's kind of demanding that, you know, um, which, what am I trying to get to? So, you know, if I'm in a workplace situation and someone's delivering something from up front, and they can sense that it's not really connecting with everybody, but then they get more and more forceful. You know, how, how, how do I then respond in that kind of situation? One, to either kind of diffuse it, but then two, to kind of help maybe deescalate their force. I've seen this so many times. You know, the person's just, why aren't you guys getting this? What's happening here? You know, what, what's going on? Is there any thoughts or advice you could give in that situation?
1: Yeah. All of the, ex- the explanation you gave made me think that what that person actually needs right there is support listening. They mm. need you to be a support listener. Because if someone is experiencing an uncomfortable emotion, especially at a high level of intensity, none of the other goals matter the only thing that matters is that you give them support listening you validate their emotions mm-hmm. and so as the listener i'm going to i'm going to cause a pause in the interaction i um i'm a very hmm, confident person i also am not conflict averse so i don't have a problem when i notice someone getting heated or forceful going hey i want to take just a beat here right I'm worried that, and then I wanna use emotional language. So part of the book is an emotion 101 for people that we're not really great at labeling our emotions. We all use that fake phrase of, I feel like, and then we say a thought instead of a feeling. I feel like you're not listening. That's not a feeling. In no Mm. way is that a feeling. That's absolutely Mm. an observation of a behavior versus I feel sad that you're not listening to me. Well, that's a feeling. And right. now to change the whole dynamic of the conversation if I just use vulnerability to tell you I feel sad. So if I'm the listener and someone's coming at me, I'm going to really focus on meeting the emotional need I believe that they're having in that moment.
0: Wow. Wow. Years ago, I uh, I started an MBA. I, I, I didn't finish it. I'm an MBA dropout. I have many <laughs> excuses. Uh, someday I'll, I'll join you both with the array of degrees. But my life was changed because I was introduced to a book called Primal Leadership by Daniel Goleman and everything just exploded for me because up until that point, I had I had thought that most of leadership and communication was force and control and speak, lead out of fear. And then everything changed for me. I was like, wait a minute, I suspected this was wrong, but You know, here I am in in the right way. You know, you talk about the emotion 101. I I think the younger generations and kind of where we're going, the tide is turning and it has turned, you know, far, far, far. But, you know, you watch those TV shows like Mad Men or, you know, when we look at the workplace in the 50s to 80s, you know, where it's like, okay, we're going to pound it out of them. What if for those people who still work in that place or have a boss or a supervisor who still communicates, leads, listens out of that way, any advice that you could give them other than you probably should move on. We all probably all know, Hey, there's other, other <laughs> I mean, great jobs leave, out there.
2: Leave, leave that place. Uh, you know, bosses have emotions too. Um, mm. I think it's important to recognize that Megan is my boss. I think she's a human like everybody else most of the time i get that from her but they need your empathy as well that can be Mm. really hard with someone who's challenging and i do i equate it to you know toddlers or even teenagers who have big feelings what do they really need in that moment they need empathy Man, is it hard to give them that in those moments, but they do. And so, if there's a a, a strength, almost an arrogance or an, an authoritarian mindset, that person probably <laughs> what the, what are they really feeling in that moment? They're probably feeling frustrated. They're probably angry about something. And then you can also ask yourself, what does my boss need in this moment? Maybe they need a little bit of compassion and that's Mm. that will bring down that level of frustration so i i go back to what megan said earlier about support listening bosses need it too now Mm -hmm. sometimes people are just not nice and they're not collaborative and they're not engaging and sometimes there's nothing you can do about that but like everything else, you can ask yourself, well, how can I react in this moment? What can I contribute and how can I diffuse the situation or, you know, make this environment a little bit more peaceful?
0: Absolutely. We, we spent most you know, of the conversation- I've got a
1: story I, oh, go ahead. I would love to share because I, I haven't thought about it in years. I once had a, a, a boss who did not agree with the decision I had made and we were chatting through the decision and he said- He tried to quote back to me something I said, but he misquoted it really, really wrong. And I remember in that moment going, I got a choice here. Mm. I correct him or I figure out what in the world would have led him to misquote me so wrong. And so I said to him, I know what you think I said. I want to repeat to you again the way I said it. And then I Mm. want to talk about how, how you feel about that. And I was so junior, I was so new. It's one of those moments I look back and I'm like, man, I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good at what, I'm good. But he, he went from agitated and tense and fist clenched to like, a, like, a, like he resigned in that moment mm. because it changed the entire level of the emotional interaction. I could have said, well, I didn't say that, that's not what I said. But I didn't. I tried to create a pause to give him a moment. As angry as he was, it wasn't about me. It was about I mean, he took an ego hit because I Mm. made a decision that he didn't agree with. We all have egos. That's okay. That's okay. And it really struck me as a moment of bosses need things. I know when my boss at Duarte is getting agitated with me when she's getting defensive with me and I change tactics because I (laughs) want to be that type of direct report that gives to her the same way she works so hard to give to me in a mm. lot of ways.
0: Oof. Oof. that is so rich. <laughs> that is so good. So good. it will help so many. Okay. Before, before we kind of round the conversation, I ask you some rapid fire questions. I just have to ask maybe this from a little different perspective, especially Megan with some of your public speaking in the past, you know, one of the things that we address on this podcast a lot is public speaking, speaking as a profession. How can adaptive listening help, The public speaker, whose many speakers are not, you know, they're not in a team environment. They're going into somewhere and then they're leaving. But so many of these, so many of these principles and skills are so incredibly helpful. Would love your thoughts, you know, on, for those, those public speakers or those thought influencers who are kind of going into a place and then leaving.
1: Yeah, so all public speaking 101 would tell you, right, audience matters. Audience mm-hmm. over content. Audience is the most important. I think adaptive listening starts to give you some tools to do audience analysis in a very important way uh, when it comes to creating the content. And I'll let Nicole say a little bit more about this. It's this a conversation we have all of the time given the line of work we do.
2: Yeah, we, we when we go into meetings with clients to write speeches for them, we – always ask, where's your audience coming from? And where do you want them to go by the time Mm. we're done speaking? How do you want their behavior to change? What are they currently thinking? How are they behaving? How are they acting? What are their emotions? How can you possibly know the answers to that question? If you haven't listen to your people. How Mm. do you know what your audience wants to hear if you haven't first heard from them? Um, Because a lot of times we will show I don't know, I don't know what they're currently thinking. Okay, go find out. And then you can come back and work with us because we can't we can't read minds. And how can you possibly move someone if you don't know what their baseline is? Mm. You can't. But another huge thing that adaptive listening how adaptive listening is different, I think compared to some other listening models. We believe that responding is part of listening we Mm. see a lot of memes out there you have two ears and one mouth for a reason you know don't basically the the gist is listen more than you talk Mm. sure maybe sometimes but how are how are the people speaking to you supposed to know that you heard them and you listened in the right way if you don't respond Responding is different depending on what their listening goal is. Mm. Your response will be different if that person needed you to listen to support versus listen to advance, listen to discern, listen to immerse. It's different, but responding is part of listening. So you need to know after you listen, what to say back in order to to close this communication loop and build that trust.
0: Ooh, so valuable and so important. I, I I could, I literally could ask you guys a hundred more questions because this conversation is so, (laughs) especially Nicole, with some of your work with autism, I have two children with autism and so I'm learning a whole different angle of communication and listening because sometimes my nine-year-old, I'm like, hey, I, I don't think you're recognizing anything, but he is, oh, he's, you know. In a different
2: way. And that's the other thing we love about adaptive listening is it recognizes listening differences. Mm. So, you know, if I have a colleague who's furiously taking notes and I think they're not paying attention to me, they're they're paying attention. They're just listening and absorbing in a different way. And I think working with neurodiverse populations, man, that really hits home even more. Right. Mm. I I love that.
0: I love it. Okay, before I I do let you guys go, let me ask you some rapid fire questions. And we can, uh, Nicole, if you go first and then Megan, but we try to create some resources for our uh, folks. We talk a lot about speaking on this podcast. Do you have a favorite speaker? Just somebody that, ooh, they fill your bucket every time, their content, their delivery, and kind of keep going back to listen to them.
2: Michelle Obama. Mm. Politics aside, that woman has a combination of warmth and strength like I've never seen. And it's why people ask her to run for office. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem to matter what she says. I trust her. I think she's smart. She's warm without being mushy. And she's strong mm. without being authoritarian. She's just found the perfect mix. And I could listen to her all day long.
0: Mm. What she
2: says and how she says it uh, just just really hits home for me. I, I could listen to her all day.
0: I love it. I love it. Nicole?
1: Uh, My favorite is Indra Nui. Oh, that's okay. Indra Nui, um, the former CEO of PepsiCo. Whenever someone asks me for an example that they need, I say, go watch Indra Nui. Have you seen Indra Nui in in a fireside chat? I don't know that there's anyone better in a fireside chat, that she can weave content and emotion together effortlessly. Uh, and I can appreciate how just direct she is. I also too like to get stuff done and move to the next point, And she's got that in her style.
0: Mm. Mm. It's so fascinating you said that because I actually just added one of her quotes to one of my uh, keynotes. <laughs> I was like, I had never seen this quote before. And I'm like, then I found it and I'm like, oh, this is so good okay uh, a podcast a podcast or a youtube channel you know same kind of thing maybe it's guilty pleasure maybe it's on the development side but oof, just feeds you fills you up
2: i'm a huge podcast fan and i listen i consume media as a means of escape so mm. i like a good story i love the moth it's a mm. bunch of true stories, people standing on stages telling true life stories. I love Dateline. I don't know what's going on with women my age, but apparently we're all obsessed with murder and mystery. I am jumping <laughs> on that basic bandwagon. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I could listen to Dateline all day, every day. And it's because of the storytelling, let's face it. Yes. And it's it's true. Uh, it's
1: Yeah, those are my two faves.
0: Yes. Uh,
1: mine is The Office, ladies. Uh. I have probably won. Watched- the office more than a dozen times it is the one show we put on when we don't know what we want to watch it lives on the weekend it's just on for like nine hours a day on the weekend so i appreciate their insider perspective and there is some communication research trickled throughout episodes. that conflict management episode that's the actual conflict management techniques in the communication workbooks so there's just stuff in there that every time like that's real that's real i like that
0: Yep. We, we're going back and forth later in the year of doing a series, uh, communication skills that we learned from the office or from Ted Lasso. We're trying to go back and forth because both of them are just, uh, I'm just saying the same way with you. Um, it's interesting about the moth. Have you heard of Matthew Dix who wrote story worthy? He's done lots with uh, a story and, you know, and, uh, I, I
2: wasn't, once you said the name, I didn't recognize it, but I recognize the, uh, the deliverable that you just mentioned so maybe
0: (laughs) okay well very much look him up when it comes to story he's done some stuff with the moth and all that kind of stuff just fascinating oh cool
2: great
0: okay so the last one a book so you know just you know for leaders who say i i need something to invest in my communication skills what's your go-to your go-to book for this
2: this is an interesting one because it's not a business book per se, but I love Nonviolent Communication by Dr. Uh, Marshall Rosenberg. Mm. Uh, he's now deceased, but he was the psychologist and he worked with conflicts between Israelis and Palestinians, uh, gangs, etc. cetera. And uh, I didn't, it's it sort of become a business book. In fact, I read it before i came to duarte and i recommended it to the entire team and one of our senior leaders came up to me almost in tears and she said nicole i think you have to accept that the entire reason you came to duarte was to recommend this book to me it has Mm. completely changed my life personally and professionally i have since found out that satya nadella ceo of microsoft has made his entire leadership team read this book it is all about how to use empathy to build trust Mm. personally or professionally. It's about understanding others' emotions and expressing your own to get people to change their behavior. It is
1: spectacular, highly recommend it. Mm. Uh, Mine is going to be Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. I think Uh. you and I had a similar journey on uh, leadership means X, Y, Z. Like if if I study like a surgeon, I too will one day be a good leader. No, leadership is introspective. Leadership is vulnerable. Leadership is courageous and it is daring. And so I am here for any book that makes you turn inward Mm. and isn't just focus on the tactical skills you need to be better, which is ironic because Nicole and I wrote a book on tactical skills you need to get better but the <laughs> introspective piece is really where leadership development comes from because it's not the mad men era that's a that's time is gone and Gen Z won't stand for it right. and they are our future lords so we must answer to them yes. and be ready to to uh, be grateful to them for what they have brought to the workplace
0: Absolutely. Oh, well thank you thank you so much. Just what you said at the end there one of the companies I'm working with they're they're asking the question a lot because the boomers are, you know, was their kind of bread and butter. So now they're looking at the other generations and it's like, hey, we've got to really pay really strong attention to Gen Z because they're, they're actually pretty powerful.
1: <laughs> they are.
0: Well, I can't thank both of you. This has been so rich, so insightful. Again, I, you know. I'm getting a little a fan fanboy here, but I, I could go on and on and ask you guys tons of questions. Just appreciate you know what you bring to the world in the communication. Where's the best place we can send our listeners to find your resources, your book, all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, we you go to Duarte.com slash Adaptive Listening. So Duarte.com slash Adaptive Listening. You'll get a link to order the book or pre-order it because it's on its way, depending on when you listen to this, and then also an uh, overview of the workshop in case that's something you want for yourself or your team. And of course, Nicole and I are both on social. Find us on LinkedIn. Find us on Instagram. Our names are our handles.
0: Well, perfect. Well, thank you again. And thank you to our listeners for joining in each and every week. We'll put all we'll put uh, the resources from this episode in the show notes and in our community Facebook group. And we're excited to get those out to you. So look forward to our next episode. Thank you for listening again. Well, thank you for joining us on another episode of the Speak With People podcast. We hope that you were encouraged. We hope that you were inspired and challenged to improve your communication skills. I want to thank you again for being a part of the Speak With People podcast community. Make sure you don't miss out on being a part of the Speak With People Facebook community group. Just head to Facebook, type in Speak With People, scroll down, and join our community because every single day we're encouraging each other, we're helping each other to improve our communication skills. Thanks again.